Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Today's reading comes from the book of Exodus, first chapter, verses 15 through 22. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, and you shall let every girl live. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Let us say, thanks be to God. Who was ready when they got up this morning to hear the word birth stool in church? Or after a passage about what really is just mass genocide, saying thanks be to God. In our passage for today, it is one of those stories that is skipped over a lot. Even in Bible studies that choose to take you through the whole Bible, this portion is skipped. In our third grade class where we are going through the whole Bible and we've covered the book of Exodus, we had to skip this portion as well for time. We skip over these passages, and even in the academic world, Bible commentaries that are taking Scripture verse by verse sometimes skip over Shifra and Pua. And if you've been around at all and you've um, heard about biblical interpretation, you know that if a person is given a name and they're not big in the story, that's pretty important. Pharaoh is not the guy's name. That's his title. He's king of Egypt. So Pharaoh's name is not remembered in this passage. But Shifra and Pua's name is. So if you've read or studied the book of Exodus, you know that it's this, it's this epic tale. And um, what I tell our kids and our teenagers that if I had to make a musical out of any book of the Bible, it would be Acts. However... I think Exodus comes in a fairly decent second place, except DreamWorks already made a musical 
about the book of Exodus called The Prince of Egypt. Or even back in the 70s, they made the film The Ten Commandments, covering this entire story of hero Moses from the very beginning. And even in those, this story is skipped. The bravery of Shipra and Pua is skipped. The leadership of Moses has been um, studied. It's been um, made into devotions. It's obviously been preserved for generations. And the book of Exodus sits in the Bible right after um, all the tales of Genesis, right? And we have the line of descendants from Abraham. And Exodus takes us right into that, that the people of Abraham, now Joseph, are in Egypt. And there's plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of everything for everyone. And then the king, the Pharaoh, notices that they are growing as a people. They are getting stronger, and there is more of them. So Pharaoh is afraid. He is living with fear. And so what does Pharaoh choose to do with his fear? He decides that instead of making the Israelite people um, assimilated into the royal court like they were in the times of Joseph, the the Hebrew people are put into slavery. And these Egyptians um, are, are making these slaves build these incredible towns and all of the archaeological finds that we have found in Egypt, those are the things that the Hebrew slaves were building. But they were still growing as a population. It says in verse 12 that the Egyptians, the slave owners, came to dread the Israelites. So Pharaoh looks around and instead of finding a way to work with the people, he decides to take things a step further. If he can't make the people weaker by putting them into slavery, he will make their generations smaller by eliminating all of the boys. In biblical times, a midwife was believed to be by scholars a woman who typically was barren and had no children of her own. And she was not like the doctor that comes in the last like 20 minutes of the birthing process, right? The midwife was there with you through the entire thing. The midwife was the one that held your hand and looked you in the eye for hours and hours and hours and hours while that process was happening. And midwives even stayed after the baby was born. It's often said that a midwife was one of the first people to love a baby. Midwives were with the people. And the Hebrew here originally is really interesting because it says... The Hebrew midwives. Now there's literally two ways that could go. These could be either Egyptian women who are midwives to the Hebrew women, or they are Hebrew women who are midwives. Literally, scholars are 50-50. The Hebrew tends to suggest that they are Egyptian women that are appointed to serve as midwives to the Hebrew people, but their names... Shipra and Pua are very Hebrew names. 
But either way, they are given instructions from Pharaoh that when a baby girl is born, she gets to live. And when a baby boy is born, it is the midwife's job to eliminate him. And in verse 17, it tells us that the midwives feared God, so they did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. Now, either way, let's take this either way. If they are Egyptian women and they're disobeying Pharaoh, that's pretty incredible. Because Egyptians were not really taught to like Hebrew people at the time. If they are Hebrew women and they're disobeying Pharaoh, that's a whole other thing. Right? That's a rebellious slave, not just against an owner or a master, but the monarch. These women, whether Egyptian or Hebrew, were risking everything. To let life come into the world. To let a group of enslaved people, whether they're part of that group of enslaved people or not, continue to grow. It says that they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. So they disobeyed Pharaoh. In this sermon series, we've been talking about things that we usually say that we are suffering from. I'm suffering from grief. I'm suffering from big feelings. I'm suffering from fear. But we've been talking about how do we make the switch not to eliminate grief, not to eliminate feelings, but instead to be living with grief, living with feelings. And today, we're going to take inspiration from the Hebrew midwives to be thinking about living with fear. Now, as you heard in children's time, we have all kinds of things that we are afraid of. When I was a child, it was green beans. Um, But who in here is afraid of spiders? Does anybody in here like spiders? I've always had this question. Yeah, the dark, who's afraid of the dark? This is really embarrassing. Am I the only one afraid of the dark? We need to talk to you all about your life choices. Anybody here afraid of clowns, heights, public speaking? (laughs) Now I know who's not going to read scripture. Okay. Um, But I did some Googling, and you know what happens when we Google. We find some of the most interesting things on the internet. So this is going to be a really fun game to watch me try to pronounce some of the most bizarre fears I could find in the deep, dark depths of the internet. So the first one is the longest one. Iraq. Arachibutrophobia. Does anybody know what it is? Nope. It's fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. (laughs) Don't you hate it when you're afraid of that? Okay. Um, I I have to hold it like this. Um, Arthmophobia is the fear of numbers. Can you imagine? Like you just see like number two. Ah! Oh no! That does not get you out of math class, children. Um, albutophobia, this is for my moms of teenagers listening, it is the fear of bathing. And then right alongside it is epiphobia, which is fear of adolescence. But if the adolescents fear bathing, I can see why you fear the adolescents. Did, this is really hard. 
Dissidiophobia? Some of you have this when it's time to figure out where to go for dinner, fear of making decisions. Anybody had a marital conflict over dissidiophobia? And for Thanksgiving, little theme here, um, cygenesophobia. <laughs> it's the fear of relatives. <laughs> so listen, if you need to get out of dinner on Thursday, cygenesophobia, you got it. And then this one, phobia, phobophobias. It's the fear of phobias, which I think I have now. Now, it's really interesting that we use this word fear, um, and we use it interchangeably with the word anxiety. We use it interchangeably with the word panic. We use it interchangeably with the word even just like conundrum. But fear is an emotion, a feeling. Remember, we had the feelings wheel last week, that our body feels when our brain sends a signal letting us know that there is some type of perceived danger or pain. Our bodies are designed and created to experience fear. So when people tell me, oh, just don't be afraid, I have a really hard time with that because I'm like, but my brain is working properly. This is scary. So our goal is not to eliminate fear. That would, like, that would, that would be like, if, I, if we tried to eliminate fear, that would be like if I stood up here and I said, you know what? You don't need food. Just don't eat any. You'll be fine. Just stop eating. It was, it's literally telling your body to stop working it the way it's supposed to. Fear is a natural thing. And so our focus shouldn't be on trying to get rid of it. But instead, our focus needs to be on the decisions that we make with our fear. When we are afraid, what kind of choices are we making? Corrie Ten Boom was a Christian watchmaker living in a house with her father and her sister Betsy. In the early 1940s, their town in the Netherlands was invaded and occupied by the Gestapo. You've probably heard of Corrie's story if you've read her book, The Hiding Place. It's a really excellent read, but just a short recap. Corey and her family were deeply driven by their Christian values. They worked with the underground Dutch resistance that was against the Nazi regime. Their primary role in the resistance was their house was a safe haven, a place along the line for Jewish people who were trying to get out of the country. They helped people escape. And the Tim Boom house was unfortunately one block away from the police station. So not only did their house serve as a safe haven, but they had pretty much every excuse not to do that with their home. To say that their work was risky is an understatement. But the Tim Boom house had this um, reputation among the resistance as one of the safest houses for Jewish people to go to. They helped their Jewish siblings by um, secretly getting food rations from other people in the neighborhood so they could have enough food to feed whoever was in the house. They helped their Jewish siblings honor the Sabbath by not using electricity and providing space for prayer and cleansing on the Sabbath. 
They made these um, structural changes to their home where they were able to take a piece of the wall and kind of put like a, like a cubby, like a hole in it that could be covered, and up to about six people could hide within the walls of their house. They installed a buzzer system in the house that um, if somebody came and they were searching the house, they could ring that buzzer that would tell any refugees in the house that they needed to go hide. And the family one night was arrested. The house was searched. Ten members of the family were turned into the Nazi police. They had to go to prison. And Corey and Betsy actually ended up staying in prison a lot longer than the rest of the family, and they were sent to a concentration camp. And Corey was released about five days after Betsy died. However, the four people that they had hiding in their walls when the house was raided lived and all escaped safely and survived the rest of the war. This book is just the start of Corey's journey, and like I said, The Hiding Place is an excellent book that tells you her firsthand account, the joy that she finds in reading scripture. But I love that her story starts with what she decides to do when she's living with fear. Corey and her family decided that their lives and their home were going to serve Jewish people at a time where it was not popular and not even legal to do so. But they knew, they knew within themselves what the right choice was. They were absolutely afraid of the Nazi regime. They were afraid of what would happen to them if they got arrested. And they were right about what happened to them when they got arrested. But they demonstrated this audacious courage. And a courage that went beyond the call of what was expected of anyone at the time. The same is true for Shipra and Pua in the story of Exodus. The Hebrew midwives did not obey the orders that Pharaoh commanded of them. They helped the Hebrew women give birth, and they were among the first people to love their baby boys. All of these women serve as an example of what it means to have this audacious, um, from the gut, I know what's the right thing to do, courage. And that doesn't mean that fear goes away. But it's courage while living with fear. Now here's the thing, we don't always have to choose courage. We can live with fear, really start a fear campaign, like Pharaoh's. We all know tons of moments in history that begin with one person or one group of people and their fear of another and the decisions that they make. Living with fear can cause us to make choices like Pharaoh. We could decide fear is not going to come near me. I'm going to eliminate everything and everyone in my way so I don't feel that fear. But living with fear means that we have the choice to choose courage. And courage is a very powerful thing. 
Nelson Mandela said, courage is not the absence of fear, but instead the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Now I'll tell you, living with fear might mean that we have to make some interesting choices with our courage. We might have to speak out against someone powerful. We might have to listen to someone who is younger, less experienced, or less educated than us. We might have to pay attention to those who don't look like us and decide to treat them differently than society says we must. We might have to make a choice where we will be standing alone and our friends and colleagues will not be standing with us. We might have to be like a midwife to people. Through the long process, hold their hand, look them in the eye with the literal blood, sweat, and tears and grossness of whatever is going on and say, I am here with you. I'm not leaving you. We might have to make a choice that is proof that we fear God more than we fear earthly consequences. We might have to make a choice that goes against what people say is just an Allen thing. That's just a Lovejoy thing. That's just a Heritage Ranch thing. Living with fear is actually more difficult than it might seem. Well, they were working on the modifications for their house, and um, Corey and Betsy and their dad did all of that handiwork themselves. But Corey looked at her dad, and she said, How should a Christian act when evil is in power? And the Hebrew midwives give us the perfect example of an answer to that question. They knew the right thing. And they had to have the courage to do it. Maya Angelou once said, I am convinced that courage is the most important of all the virtues, because without courage you cannot practice any other virtue consistently. You can be kind for a while, you can be generous for a while, you can be just for a while, or merciful for a while, even loving for a while. But it's only with courage that you can be persistently and insistently kind and generous and fair. To live with fear is not a bad thing, so long as we are letting courage drive the decisions that we are making while we are living with fear. And in that, just as God did with the Hebrew wives, or midwives, we know that God's love will continue to be shown to all kinds of people. That doesn't mean it's always easy on us. But this book is full of people who had to make really hard, courageous choices so that people would know who God is. May we, in turn, have the inspiration to do the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the stories of the Hebrew midwives and Corey Ten Boom. God, we thank you for their audacious courage, the ways in which they felt you in the deepest 
parts of themselves and the choices they made so accordingly. We ask that you would give us the courage to do the same, to take inspiration from them and to make choices that honor you. Not that honor our fear, but instead take your love with audacious courage and show it to others. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.